everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for today's Appraisal Buzzcast. We have a great episode for you for you today. But with the, with me, as always, is our host, Hal Humphreys. Hal, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Jim. How are you today? I'm doing great. We have a great guest today. I'm going to bring him in. We're, we're talking with Keith Murray, the CEO of PCB Mercor. How are you doing, Keith? I'm well. I'm well, Jim. Good morning. Hal, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Good Thank good afternoon, you. wherever you may be. Thank you so much for being here. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, that's where the headquarters of the appraisal buzz is. So we're, and you know, we've got some office issues today. They've cut the power off on the building. They're replacing some things. So I'm coming to you live from our home here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Keith, real quick, for those of the people in the audience that don't know who you are, how did you get into this real estate appraisal industry? Well, that's a great question. Like a lot of us that, uh, that, that become appraisers, I think it maybe found me. Uh, I've only had one other job either than, uh, other than the jobs that I currently have, and that was working uh, in the mailroom back in the early 80s at a place called Home Savings of America. So okay. it was there when I worked uh, uh, delivering mail to executives to different departments throughout the organization, uh, went from there to going to a teller line and, and uh, working as a bank teller for some time and then learned of something called appraisal. And at the time, Home Savings offered appraiser training. And so this would have been, uh, you know, 82. I went into appraisal training and got field training from them. Uh, and then so uh, lately, uh, uh, much after that, interest rates went from whatever they were, 8% to 12%, 18%. And so I found myself in a full circle moment as uh, in my career. And, and I was back in the teller line after spending a year as an appraiser. And so I uh, had a had an unfortunate incident as a bank teller, where got held up and then got real clarity on my career and decided I was going to start a company that was then called uh, Pacific Coast Valuations, uh, providing um, residential appraisals throughout Southern California. Okay. So that's the when you started Pacific Coast Appraisals, what year was that? Uh, Pacific, Coast value, uh, Pacific Coast Valuations was 1981. Okay, so 1981, this is pre uh, Fannie Mae 1004. This is pre um, Firea. What was it like back then? Well, I, I was, uh, I think I was 14 years old, just to make that really clear. <laughs> but we, we, had, we had 1004s then. When we did the training, we had what we called flashcards at Home Savings. But right around that time, we had the 1004s. Uh, in the uh, uh, in the ten twenty fours and in ten sixty five, so we were pretty much uh, in the same environment that we are now. Um, you know, the biggest difference was, of course, you know, technology was very different. Uh, there was a, a different attitude in terms of uh, appraisers and how we were viewed, and, and and our access to information and our clients' access to information. So I think right. that over time, that's really what's been. Um, what, what I've noted as being a bit different. I'm not a practitioner any longer. I mean, um, I probably missed as I was sort of talking about my, my path is that it was in probably in the mid 90s that I started PCB Mercor in response to clients that said, hey, we like the service that you, you give and how you manage uh, resources. Can you offer those same services in Nevada? And so we sort of expanded the management platform and really flipped it from being an appraiser platform where we had appraisers that were employees doing those assignments in the local market to actually using that staff to perform QC um, services and then uh, uh, look for a network and built a network really manually 
you know, but before we were able to leverage technology that's available now. Wow, that's awesome. Well, um, again, Keith, thank you so much for being here. Let me take a real quick break, give a shout out to one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. The Dictionary of Real Estate Appraisal, 7th edition, is a landmark text that reflects the depth and breadth of appraisal knowledge. Each entry, definition, and reference has been painstakingly researched and designed to reflect an expert understanding of issues that currently impact the profession. The new dictionary is an essential authoritative resource for all appraisers. The dictionary is divided into two sections, an alphabetical listing of terms directly related to real estate appraisal and an addendum with topical glossaries and compilations of terms used by related real estate professionals. Find it at appraisalinstitute.org slash dictionary seven. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Hal Humphreys. You're listening to the Appraisal Buzz. I've got Keith Murray here with me today. Keith, you know, you said something before the commercial break about, you know, you had this moment of clarity when you're working at the bank and somebody held the bank up like that. That deserves a little bit more conversation. You were in a bank robbery. I was in a bank robbery. Yeah. So in, in the early 80s, uh, as I mentioned, I've been working uh, as an appraiser, having left uh, the mailroom and, and teller line. But then interest rates skyrocketed to, to uh, 20 percent. And so all the lending personnel went back into the bank branches. So it was a Friday afternoon, long, long line of folks waiting to, uh, to to make transactions. And two gentlemen came in. One stopped at my line and uh, brandished a weapon. And I moved out of the way. And, 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 the, and the largest hand that I've ever seen reached in and grabbed all my cash. And uh, and, and that was when I had clarity that, uh, you know, I had been thinking before about, about working on my own and working for myself. And, and, and it was at that point that I had the clarity and said, it's time. So yeah. that was the that was the beginning of um, Pacific Coast Valuations. Wow, that that may be the most interesting appraisal business origin story I've ever heard. Um, you know, a lot of us, you, you know, this. I came I came to this industry in a really strange way. My father was an appraiser, and I think a lot of people in this business came to it that way. You're the only person I've ever heard came to the business via a bank robbery. Um, so look, I, 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 trained in the bank, but yeah, I did not have any relatives <laughs> that were in valuation business at that time. Um, you know, a lot has changed over the years. You know, I've I've been certified general since 1992, I believe. You've you've been in the business for quite some time. You know, you, we were talking about the forms earlier. You know, at that point in time, forms came in like a hard cardstock, glue bound, and you would tear the two page form off and fill out the front and then fill out the back. And do you remember the, the rub on stickers for location subject comparables? I'll do you on even better. I, I remember forms and worms. Well, again, <laughs> again, I, I, I was, a, maybe I was an appraiser savant because I think I was 10. I'm going to back that number. I was 10 because otherwise we start putting up math together and, and folks realize that I'm, I'm really old, but yes, I remember getting the boxed forms uh, they came with a little worm inside of it with the stickers. And um, yep. I, I know I know the origins of the phrase, shake it like a Polaroid picture, because that's uh, that's what we were doing and taping them yep. on. So. Yeah. Um, so, you know, back in those days and, and, and my father had the Polaroid land camera, we would shake it to dry it off and all that business. And you remember that, that I don't know, five pound metal brick that had double sided tape on it. You would put the pictures and pull it off and tear it. 
and then research back then, one of my first jobs in college was going to the courthouse every afternoon and doing sales research for a, an MAI here in Nashville. Things have changed since then. Let's talk about how they've changed over the years. We've got, we've got technology. How many times do your appraisers go actually physically to the courthouse these days? Uh, I don't believe they go very often. I'm sure in the more rural markets they do. But I mean, that is probably the biggest uh, transformation that, that when I look at the landscape is just the availability uh, to the appraiser, but also to our to, to, to their customers, to our clients. And so, you know, we're, we move from a, a trust uh, environment of the of, of the skilled uh, appraiser to trust and verify because there's just so much data out there. Um, that that's a great thing, and then and, and also represents challenges in terms of the interpretation. So I, I think that creates a great opportunity for skilled appraisers to be able to analyze that data. Right, that's the value that we bring to the process. But uh, it, it does make for a lot of information uh, flying around the industry. You know, there are a couple of things that that I want to touch on from that, um, and I'm going to take the last one first. The, one of the last things you said, it's a really good chance for skilled appraisers to take that vast quantity of information and then analyze it going forward in the appraisal business is it going to be sufficient to get information thrown into a report checks and boxes and move on no well and it, and it never was i mean I, I think one of the one of the things that uh, um, that i realized through, through some of the appraisal education i got and and, and went about the process i'm not i'm a, a an mai as well and so going through that process of writing a, a report and understanding that all the check boxes that are on a form really have in a narrative format a number a bunch of research and development that leads you to that conclusion to the box you check and so i think that um it's always been uh, uh, the case that appraisers um uh, it, it is an art right that's backed up by the science of data but it does take some analysis i, I and i've always said you know particularly in the form business and that it that it, it's it's more of a challenge to write a succinct paragraph in a form because there's a whole lot that you can board the plate throw in but that's not the value that we bring it it's it's understanding here's what's important of all the things i've looked at and it really synthesize, synthesizing that down so um it, so yeah it's never been a case where we could just check a box and but i know that that's sort of how it, it maybe in some respects has been commoditized in some areas but i think the appraisers that have um, survived and thrived have been the ones that have always um appreciated that we bring value through the analysis and our experience. And at the end of the day, the value we bring is we are analysts and we have to continue to be analysts and we have to learn how to harness this technology that is available to us today and that is unveiling itself to us as we speak and continuing to get better and more interesting. Where do you see things going from here with technology? Well, it's, it's just going to continue to advance. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, you know, and the danger in it, particularly when we, we mentioned the two words, uh, the two letters AI, right, is that you can you can ask a question, you can get three pages of narrative that uh, that uh, the unwise appraiser would put in a report. But it also does, uh, you know, allow for some of the task and, and to uncover data that you wouldn't normally get access to in a much shorter amount of time. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, that what what is left for appraisers now, of course, are the much more complex assignments, right? So you know, where I think where the future goes is that we get better at utilizing the tools that, that are available and then layering on top of that our expertise. And I think at, at, at some point, I suspect that that could be um, 
done with some form of technology, but I still think that the experience that appraisers have that back when I was doing appraisers, being in a property, um, having your sensory experiences come into a report are, are hard to replace. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on AI and algorithmic solutions to things in the past month. And one of the things I've learned is, so the algorithmic format is relatively new to the appraisal profession. We've got automated valuation models that have been around for years, but they're still fine tuning them, but it's still not broadly accepted. Um, but a place where algorithms have been broadly accepted for quite some time is credit scores. And there was a lawsuit settled last year with one of the credit reporting agencies because their credit scores were, they had built in bias into the, the math. And I think the, one of the articles I read about this, there was a lady out of Stanford University out in California, and she said, the answer is when you have a thin credit file or bad data baked into the numbers from, from years of, of you know, what amounts to really bad policy, it is required to have a human analyst look at this data and try to interpret it and make sense of it. I think that's where we as real estate appraisers can bring real value to the table as that, that human element to look at the numbers and analyze them and draw conclusions as a human being. Yeah. And I, I mean, and, and, and in the, you know, since we're Monday after a, a long football reason, uh, season, it's, um, it's reps, right? It's repetition. And, and again, I know that the algorithms do that, but I, I, you know, I, in the experiences I've had over the years, talking to appraisers that know their market and the nuances and the conversations with the brokers in the marketplace um, and going to the open houses, I mean, all that's available to look at on a screen and it's available via data feed, but it's a different experience when you know your marketplace uh, and you're able to articulate that and analyze it. I love it. Well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break and hear from another one of our sponsors and then we'll be right back. LIA Administrators and Insurance Services, serving valuation professionals since 1978. We provide ENO insurance with a commitment to superior customer service, outstanding liability education, and unmatched claim defense, benefiting over 10,000 real estate professionals nationwide. Explore our exclusive appraiser liability education by Peter Christensen and cost-effective seminars designed to foster your growth. Our underwriters, with an average of 26 years of experience each, are dedicated to supporting appraisers. Visit liability.com to discover how LIA can safeguard your business. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Hal Humphreys. You're listening to the Appraisal Buzz. I've got Keith Murray here with me today. Keith, thank you for taking the time to, to visit with us for a few minutes. Let me ask you this. You know, we've, we've talked about your past in the business. We've talked about technology and how it's evolved over the years. There's a lot of talk right now about Paria and the appraiser diversity initiative and ways to get new people into this business. If someone came to you today and said, Keith, I'm, I'm 26 years old. I've got a college degree. I'm really interested about this appraisal business. It seems interesting and intriguing to me. What advice would you give that person? Well, it's, it's the advice that I would give anyone as they go down the career path and it's, it's, it'd be to find a mentor. Um, and I bet, and that's what Paria par is all about. But 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 it, but I'll, with a word of caution, which would be to choose 
that mentor carefully. You know, we we have been in uh, an industry as a byproduct of technology to be able to work sort of in silos, right? And so I mentioned back earlier in my career that that uh, I got my initial training in home savings, and and, and you can envision a, a a large office with 10, 15 appraisers, the senior appraisers, the supervisors, the younger appraisers, and we were all there sort of able to collaborate and ask questions in real time to help us through the process. And so that, you know, that's been replaced by uh, us working individually in our offices. We can go online, we can take virtual classes, but, um, I, but I think having a mentor and, and having one that, that truly does understand um, the process and, and, and what it is appraisers do, I, I think for me, what was beneficial is, 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 is finding mentors in my professional classes. So uh, you mentioned the Appraisal Institute. So uh, uh, as an MAI, MAI member, I mean, that was it was rich full of folks that had the same idea that I had that I wanted to pursue appraisal as a um, as a profession. And then finding mentors within that space really helped to find those folks that could help me advance my career and um, and, and make good choices. I mean, inevitably, you're always on uh, in an assignment, often in an assignment where you don't really know which way to go. And it'd be nice to, back in the day, you turn around, you'd ask the senior appraiser, but to be able to have that mentor that you can call, it's a service that that's a part of how we fulfill our services at PCV. We have, you know, ask the appraiser, and it's where we have all of our sort of salty dog appraisers uh, there to take phone calls from, from seasoned appraisers, but say, hey, I'm just curious about, you know, how, how, how I would solve this, and right? It's not, not related to value, it's just related to, I just need a sounding board to make sure this makes sense before I spend three hours of going down a path. Um, and I think that that would be, you know, a really important piece of advice is to make sure that you had a mentor. Um, and the other one would be to, to really invest in your education and, and understanding technology. I mean, we mentioned AI a moment ago and uh, keeping in mind that as an appraiser, uh, appraisers are responsible. I'm not telling you in our audience anything we don't know is that we're responsible for the content of the reports. So while we can go to any number of sources to get the information, uh, at the end of the day, we own it. And so making sure we, we, we are completely familiar with the tools that we use would be another piece of advice I'd give. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely fantastic advice. And I think you're right. The mentor piece is critical in this because as you pointed out, a lot of appraisers are working from a home office or a, a, an office in their backyard or something like that. And you end up in a situation where you find yourself saying, I've thought about this and I agree with myself and you can get yourself in trouble by doing that. So the chance to network and meet people and do things like that. So if, what I would say to someone coming into the business, you know, obviously the Appraisal Institute is a fantastic resource. And if you're going for the MAI designation, it, it is, you know, look, it's, it's really good education and it's really good mentorship. I did all of my qualifying education through the society. And then when they merged, I went to the Institute to finish up. Um, but the, the main thing I got out of the process was this network of appraisers around the country that would come together and take classes. And I can call Andy Moy up in Ohio and ask him a question tomorrow. And he's going to take the call and help me walk through a thing. So 
that's critical. Um, for those of you that are doing boots on the ground residential valuation, there is the National Association of Appraisers, a fantastic organization of boots on the ground, residential appraisers mostly. Um, and it's another chance to go to a conference, meet fellow appraisers, spend time with them, get to know them. Um, that's a critical part of, of becoming an appraiser is having not just one mentor, but two or three or four mentors, a group of people you can turn to. And yet, absolutely learn how to use technology, learn how to do the research. You know, you can pull your MLS data as, you know, a comma separated value file and drop it into Spark and it will spit out all these beautiful graphs. But we as appraisers have to know what that means. We, we have to know how that software puts these things together. Um, so that's, I think that's what you're talking about when you say know the technology, learn the technology. You don't have to know the specific formulas for every piece of the pie, but you do need to know what that software is doing with the data and be able to explain it. Because if you can't, that data is just, it's just an indication from a machine. It takes that human, that appraiser to go through and say, here's what this all means. So I think that's fantastic. Keith, again, thank you for taking the time to be here. I've enjoyed chatting with you. I'm going to bring Jim I'm going to bring Jim Morrison back in the room. Jim, do we by chance have an anonymous appraiser question today? We do. And Keith, so you know, what we do is we ask our listeners to send in their anonymous appraiser questions. They can reach out at comments at appraisalbuzz.com or reach out to us on social media. And we'll ask our experts to answer some of the questions that they give us. So this one today says, I'm doing a townhouse. The sketch shows 35 by 20 and three levels. Um, when I measure ANSI, I'm coming in lower. This this is a little complicated. <laughs> but, for someone uh, who hasn't done an appraisal for a minute. Yeah. When I measure ANSI, they're coming in lower, which I understand is right, but the comparables sold are in the same unit I'm appraising, but they're all using exterior sketch measurements, and mine are interior, so it brings my value down with the square footage being different. I don't agree that that's right, that my value will be less because they're all new and all connected to the same unit. Uh, how do you handle this? You want me to go first, Keith? Well, I, I, I'll go. I'll go first, and then I think you're going to give the, the the better answer. But 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 it, when, if what I understood is that the uh, the the units are within the same project, so I think there's an opportunity to have communication with the developer, maybe get a look at it to verify because ultimately it's physically there that that's important. And I think that's be pretty sort of kind of have sense that the numbers may not be accurately reflecting what in fact is there. Uh, so that would, that would that would be my thoughts on how to. So to get to the bottom of it. And I, and I was one other thing, and it was something you said a minute ago, um, how, and that's with regard to, to, to verifying data, right? That's part of our, uh, is that when we get uh, an MLS feed and we get information, there's a phone number there and there's a broker that can be called. And there, in this case, maybe a developer that can be called um, to, to verify information. So I think that would be uh, be the path to take. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing, I'm not a USPAP wonk, but um, one of the, I think USPAP uses the word must like three or four times maximum. And it is in this context. It says the appraiser must collect, verify, and analyze all information necessary for credible assignment results. So the verification part is key there. I would also say, you know, 
just because you measure something to an ANSI standard and the other properties are not measured to ANSI standard, it doesn't mean the value has decreased. Um, that's a chance for you as the appraiser to say, I measured to ANSI standards. The other units were not measured to ANSI standards. They're reported based on you know, whatever they're reported on. Um, and then you analyze the difference and you analyze what that means. But I don't think, you know, just because your property has based on a different standard, fewer square feet doesn't mean the, the value changes. Um, I think there's a way to either say the subject is the same as these other properties. Therefore, I'm, here's the ANSI standard. Here's what the actual square footage is according to ANSI. And I would double check my numbers and make sure I got them right. And I would also make sure that I'm applying the ANSI standard correctly. But here's what ANSI says. Here's what I'm reporting the square footage as. But in my summary of my sales comparison approach, I would probably go into a conversation about these are model match properties. There is no difference in the square footage. So I'm going to analyze these other, the sales, since they're model match, based on the fact that they're probably the same square footage as my subject. And I might approach it that way. It doesn't really matter how you handle it as an appraiser, as long as you say what you did and why you did it. How does that sound, Keith? Does that make sense to you? Ditto. Okay, good. No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, and it, and it ultimately, it's it's what the market says, right? So even though the square footage could slightly be different, if the market doesn't recognize that difference, then there's probably no adjustments warranted. Absolutely. And here's the thing. I get the fear that appraisers have with this issue. I got a letter from a government agency saying you did not bracket the subject with your sales. And I mean, technically, no, I didn't, but they were model matches and I measured the property to ANSI standards, almost an identical situation. But in the report, I discussed it. And the reviewer from this government agency did not read the discussion where I talked about why I use the sales I use, they just looked at the grid and said, oh, he's not bracketed the sales. So as, a, as an appraiser, I understand where the fear comes from. But our job, Keith, I think you would agree with me on this. Our job is to analyze the information, say what you did, why you did it, um, articulate clearly so that your reader can understand what it is you've done. Well, as, yeah, and as I said earlier, that the, knowing what's important in your narrative, right, this would be one of those areas where this is what's important and, and understanding from a, um, a an end user perspective, what, what your client's going to want to look see if there's a square footage difference in, in, in simply calling it a model match without explanation as to why the numbers don't reflect that the model matches would, right. be, would be useful. And I mean, certainly, as I understand it, while things may get flagged because of those, for example, didn't bracket um, the data, the, the, the narrative will support your conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Keith, thank you very much for being here today. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Anything else we need to cover, Jim? No, I think we covered everything. Okay. In which case, for Jim Morrison and Keith Murray, I'm Hal Humphreys, and that's your appraisal buzz for this one.